Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley, Harley Davison. Today's guest is a name that's very familiar around motorsport. Welcome, Paul Will. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Mate, um, yeah, appreciate you coming up. It's been uh, been something I wanted to do for ages, so uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's cool. Who's Paul Will? <laughs> well, uh, these days, uh, well, XV8 supercar driver. Yep. And... Um, uh, sort of X, well, XPWR performance products, which uh, which is a company I started with my old man um, twenty something years ago now, wow. and um, over uh, in two thousand sixteen we floated on the Australian stock exchange, yep. and um, and I decided after that that uh, I'd leave and uh, go and do my own thing and enjoy the fruits of uh, you know life and yep. you know sort of went down that path for the last few years and uh, now back, you know, racing again, which is uh, which is awesome and good fun. Was that was that a huge step for you to get out of it at that time, like after it being floated? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, massive step. Um, you know, you put your heart and soul into into something that you started from nothing. Um, you know, it was me in the corner of my old man's shed at um, K&J Thermal Products when um, he had that before before he sold that, you know, getting a radiator, you know, bending up the tanks, learning how to weld, um, which it wasn't really pretty at the start, <laughs> um, you know, uh, learning how to weld, doing all that sort of stuff and going from one person to do it and then going to, the, you know, getting another, another person and another person and then, you know, my old man going, hey, you got to actually start paying for everything that you're getting these days now. And, uh, <laughs> so I used to go to in the factory and go, "Hey, mate, can you make this for me? And can you make that yeah. for me? And get everything together." And um, and then it got to a stage of yeah, you get know, got customers coming in and ordering stuff, and um, you know that was how PWR was started. Wow, that's a that's a huge story. From obviously K and J Thermal was the original mm. iteration. Did did you know anything about coolers at that point? Like as growing up. Yeah, well, growing up, we, you know, uh, my old man had been manufacturing radiators since I was, you know, probably three or four years old. Wow. And um, so, you know, being from a family that was, you know, very much hardworking, um, there was no, no, uh, even as a kid, you know, on a weekend, you'd come into work and sweep the floors. And yep. um, so being around that sort of radiator environment for, you know, from when I was, you know, could almost, well, I could walk by then and <laughs> uh, all that sort of stuff um, from early age, you, you know, you just sort of grow into it and you get to learn from the bottom up um, of how something is made and and what does what and why it's made that way yep. and I suppose that was probably one of the biggest things of of why PWI is so successful is that we you know knew how to do exactly everything and mm. we could do it ourselves um, also we were also on the floor the workshop floor every day working so you know side by side everyone else um, not sitting in an office, you know, throwing out orders and all that yep. sort of stuff and working side by side. So, you know, there wasn't a job that we couldn't do um, where, you know, a lot of businesses, people who either, you know, in the hierarchy of the business, mm -hmm. you know, managers or, you know, general managers, CEOs, stuff like that, they don't actually understand how, especially in manufacturing, how to make the part or the product. Um, they might know how to sell it or might know yeah. how to run the business, but... Um, yeah, I think that's a really important part of it. 
That's a really different path too from um, engineering to sale, isn't it? Oh, it is. You know, a lot of people can import a product and sell it. Yep. But when you've got to do both under one hat, that's a, that's a big different story, eh? Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, that was the biggest thing that we always sort of try to, you know, put into people who we employed. Um, didn't make a difference if it was engineers or if it was, you know, salesmen, if it's um, people in the office, accountants and everything like that. We try to make sure that everyone knew how the product is getting made and what was you know happening on the floor um and i think that's probably why pwr is so successful um and, and to this day is more successful um than you know a lot of the competitors and um you know especially in australia the competitors in australia and then all why they've been able to take so much um business away from people overseas mm. That's, yeah, obviously having people on the actual ground, eh? Yeah. There's a big part to that. Yep. Where was K&J originally? So K&J was originally uh, started in Victoria, in Warrnambool. Oh, really? Um, so a little place in Warrnambool um, down there. And, um, you know, the uh, Warrnambool's famous for the Premier Speedway, for yeah. the uh, Classic, the Sprint Car Race. Um, so, yeah, that's where we were started. And then when we moved up here to the Gold Coast when I was um, about six Wow. Yeah. And uh, so we were in Corumban there for a long, long time. Yeah. And um, and then the early, uh, late, sorry, late 2000s, about 2007, 2008, we built uh, the building at Yatla for PWR. Yeah. And um, now they've run out of room, room there. Seriously? So, they, yeah, they keep on um, they keep on trying to find more buildings, uh, yeah. which is, you know, which is a, a problem, but a good problem to have. As a past life of what I've done previously for work, I've been into into your buildings. Yeah, and the, the way the business must have evolved must have been huge. Obviously, with you know electronic machines and stuff, massive. Hey, yeah, massively now. Um, you know what they've got there: the amount of amount of CNC machines. Yeah. Um, you know the amount of laser cutters, the um, computer aided. Um, machines as in, you know, to do the quality control of, of measuring and yep. and everything like that um, is humongous. Um, you know, each time I actually, I go there now and I go, well, what's new? What's this? What's that? And, yeah, um, what's the new toy? Yeah, what's the new <laughs> toy? And there's always something new, yep. um, which is which is really good. And, you know, you've got to, I think, to be in a cutting edge of of motorsport and cutting edge of cooling, of what, what they do, Um you know, you've got to have that sort of stuff, and and that was that's the, always the best thing about PWR, and, and more so now because the amount of money that they've got to be able to actually go and invest in new machinery, invest in the latest technology, mm. is is humongous, and they're doing really good. They're investing a lot of money for the future, um, and they're investing in people um, also. Like there's, I think, you know, worldwide there's close to three hundred odd people um, that work for PWR now. Um, you know, they invested in a new manufacturing plant in Indianapolis in um, in the, the assembly plant that we had there. Um, so they can manufacture anything there now, um, pretty similar to what we do, what they do here, um, which is, you know, really, really good. Um, you know, when we bought the plant in Indianapolis was a company called Sandar Racing um, and they were a competitor of ours when we first went in 2008 to NASCAR. They had the whole field, and so we, you know, went in from being over this side of the world, and took the you know half of their business, um, 
often within the first six months. And so we, you know, we said to them, well, do you want us to, because all they did was they bought radiators, cores from here, there and everywhere. Yeah. They didn't manufacture them, the cores themselves. And we said, well, how about we sell the cores to you? And, you know, then we can stop, you know, competing and, yeah. and doing stuff like that. So we did that first and then we said to them, well, how about we actually buy you guys out yeah. and take over business, which we did. And, um, and that, so they put an extension on that building and last, last year, I think it was, they ended up putting a full manufacturing plant there, so, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And there's, um, yeah, there's two or three Aussies over there. Who, who are running running it. There's some engineers there, Aussie engineers, who come up through the system in, in PWR here um, where they've done their internships and, and all that finish off from their uni degrees yeah. um, at PWR. And, um, you know, a couple of them are in the States now, um, living over there, working working over there with PWR and, um, you know, have progressed through the system. And that's always been one of the biggest things that we've always done is try to... Um, promote within, yeah, um, and also you know, have people f- work from the ground level up, uh, which is I think a really cool thing. When you went to the states, was it frowned upon? Like going into NASCAR, NASCAR has obviously been a pretty, um, it's like a big family, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, to come from Australia into that must have been a pretty, um, pretty big step, eh? Hey? Yeah, pretty big step. I think it's uh, the the biggest thing was that. It's sort of like V8 supercars at the start here when we first started supplying some people V8 supercars yep. in in there with cause, you know, people used to buy what they could get. Yeah, right. Okay, so they didn't have that option or didn't have that choice, and you know that was the biggest thing when we went to NASCAR was that we said to them, "Well, hang on, what do you want?" Mm. And they've never had that before. You know, service. What, service. And that was a thing where, you know, if you've got the whole, one of the whole fields of something, you know, and there's no competition, well, you sort of dictate to what there is. So that was the thing with NASCAR was, you know, CNR had the whole NASCAR field um, and that, and they, you know, they just done what they done. And so we went to Roush Fenway Racing, which was one of the biggest NASCAR teams there is and, and probably a little bit smaller now, but it was, you know, at the time. Uh, with Jack Roush and um, you know we said to him Keys my old man said to him he went done the first trip and he said well you know we can give you this product we can give you you know better service we can give you a lighter product uh, but we won't be cheaper we'll be more expensive yeah and that was the thing of how we wanted to get in there was we didn't want to get in there on price we want to get in there on service quality of a product, better cooling, and, you know, everything like that. And, you know, and Jack Roush said, well, we don't want to, we don't want to buy it, pay it, you know, buy it cheaper, you know, because that's not why we want you guys to supply us. We want you guys to supply us the best thing you can. Mm. Um, and that, which we did. And it was the best thing that we could do was we'd done everything that we said we could do. You know, we we're on the other side of the world we would turn a radiator around quicker than what someone in their own country could do for himself for them. Wow. Um, and that's how we got the business. Yeah. And if there was an issue, we're always, you know, either straight on the phone at you know, midnight or, or on a plane or anything like that. 
and you know the service that we could give them was so much better um, because we knew that how important it is from actually being racers as well mm. you know of how important it is and you know like a NASCAR team is massive like you know they got some it's of them have fathom, hey. three four hundred people there um, yeah. you know they, they might run five or six different teams you know in, in the peak of when NASCAR was massive there was five or six different teams under one roof wow um, yeah under one owner and um, the amount of money, you know, you know, 20 or $30 million for a main sponsor for the year. That's um, huge, Yeah, you know, it was massive. So, yeah, we sort of understood the importance as racers ourselves of what we had to do to be able to service these people mm. and give them the best product and give them the best service from the other side of the world because, you know, you're not there day to day. Mate, that, that must have been a huge part having that foundation in racing, hey, to, to, to support it. Yeah, I think so. I think the, I think the biggest thing was, it actually made the customers realise. Well, they realised more um, of that we knew our product, mm. and we tested our product. We tested our product in our own race cars, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that makes a massive difference. And understanding that sort of industry, the racing industry, of how, you know. They don't really plan that well, some people. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> oh, hang on, I'm going racing on the weekend. Oh, I need a radiator. And being able to react um, as in the service side was a massive thing. Hmm. Um, you know, these days now, but it's a little bit harder because of the size of the company and, and everything like that. But they still, you know, still seem to do a really good job of reacting to, you know, try to help people. How would, like... Uh, say say a NASCAR team, say they go to the the Brickyard 400, right? Would they go through, like, at the end of a weekend, would they service a radiator or would it be just to replace it out? Like, what would happen in, in NASCAR, for instant, instance? Um, it all changes all the time. Depends on team on team. But, you know, they'll mileage it. You oh, know, right. Mileage yeah. it out. Serviceable know, part. Yeah. They'll say, okay, well, we might run this for, I don't know, 600 miles or 1,000 miles or, or yeah. whatnot. Um, or it depends on where they're racing of how much you know debris they they get picked up like bristol the other way yeah like bristol <laughs> there'd be a fair bit yeah um yeah and there was times when there was teams just running a radiator every race damn um yeah we made we made one radiator back in the day for um was when carl edwards was at uh roush um fenway racing and he was running for the championship and we made a radiator our standard radiator was something like I think it was like uh, seven kilos or something like that. And we made this radiator and it was all handmade. Every single part of it was handmade um, and it was four kilos. Wow. And it was basically you'd make one, you'd cross your fingers and hope, hopefully it stayed together or it'd come out right. And, um, yeah, they'd run that just one race. That's it. Mate, yeah. After doing engineering for so many years with, with your business, hmm. To save that weight, yeah, you must just flip. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. We made a lot of tooling to, you know, it was a two piece tube where the where the water runs through that yep. joined together. Then it had to braze together properly. Um, and everything was so hard to actually. It was you know, really hard to manufacture. Yeah, and um, so you know, it was a great challenge for the engineering group. But you know, as a as the um, 
you know, the guys on the floor trying to manufacture it. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, but everyone, you know, it was a good thing about PWO, engineering, the, you know, production, the welding. Yeah, every part there come together to actually be able to produce it. Mm. And they all, you know, had a hand in it. You know, it wasn't like the engineering group said, oh, yeah, here we go. That's your part now. You guys finish that off. Yep. Everyone helped. Everyone got in and made it happen. Man, that's huge. Mm. NASCAR, like, uh, I, I don't know the stats, but some of the teams back back that, oh, well, probably pre-GFC sort mm. of time, we're talking about 40, 50 cars in the shed, hey? Yeah, there'd be... Like a J, Joe Gibbs race. And oh, exactly. Like yeah. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Um, some of these places that you walk you know, walk through over there is just humongous. You know, you've got um, Hendrick Motorsport, you know, mm. Joe, um, Joe Gibbs, Roush Fenway, you know, the the history hmm. of 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 the sport um, is mega, um, and how they you know produce everything and what they do in the engineering side is mega as well. Because you know you think, well, hang on, what are these guys doing? They're running around in a circle. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it can't be too hard. But the you know the drag and the the you know how the wind goes over the car and not under the car and all this sort of stuff yep. um, is really cool. Like you think. You know, they're doing 200-odd mile an hour yep. in, a, in a NASCAR, in a brick, really. That's right, yeah. Um, around, around a course. Yep. It's just amazing. And, um, you know, the, the size of the, the teams and, you know, the amount of money they have to be able to invest in what they do and how to, you know, um, get that one-tenth more or get that little bit extra yeah. is quite amazing. It's probably changed – well, it's probably changed a little bit now because they've gone to more of a um, sort of a restricted style of – Parody. Parody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that, you know, I know, if, you know with PWR, they supply all three series with a standard um, oh. cooler now. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've tried to reduce costs – in, in in the series because it's you know it's like everywhere it's getting harder and harder mm. um so yeah i think it's sort of like here with with supercars how they try to reduce the costs and stuff like that you know you, your teams are the good teams are still going to yeah. you know rise to the top um usually costs don't reduce no it's actually usually costs more yeah um because they spend more money around of how can we get around this yeah and um Usually that's what what happens. That's where it goes. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like when MotoGP they try and slow it down, but the corner speed improves. You know, yeah, exactly. reduce the capacity, but we'll just get more corner speed. Yeah, exactly. Is this safer? Probably not. Yeah, that's right. And it happens in every every facet of motorsport. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. but that's parody, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Now, where did it all start for you? You're you're motocross, is that right? Yeah, motocross. Uh, So, yeah, I started racing um, flat track at Mike Hatches um, for a mate of mine when we were at school. Yeah, right. Um, When we first moved up here, I was probably about seven or eight. Yeah. And um, and then started racing motocross. Mm -hmm. Um, So, raced motocross until I was 16. Yeah, right. Um, And that we ran uh, the factory Kawasaki team. Uh, in Australia, we always had. I was a junior at the time, and we always had a senior rider. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had Stephen Andrews ride for us um, back in the early nineties. Um, uh, so he was a pretty good rider back in the early nineties. Right. And um, and then we ran a, um, a 
team, like still with Kawasaki up until, yeah, about the, I think, late 90s. Right. Um, 96, 97, somewhere like that. We had um, we had a young guy who, who was a young pro senior guy, a guy called Joel Elliott, who rode for us. Uh, he was out of Curry Curry. And um, he, yeah, rode for us for two years here. And then we used to go to the States to America and go and race for three months a year. Wow. And um, so we went to uh, Mammoth Mountain. Was, um, it was in their summer over there and it was uh one of the it's world's one of the world's biggest amateur races mm. um yeah where they have you know hundreds and hundreds of competitors on the edge of yosemite national park yes yeah and um and so we went there he had a he was racing at a supercross here flew over had a crash before he flew over and um he had uh fluid on the spine Oh, Un- unfortunately, and um, so we had organised a ride for him uh, with Star Yamaha, which was a um, factory one two five support Yamaha team yep. for the main team, AMA Supercross and Motocross. And um, so, unfortunately, he didn't get to ride. And um, while we're over there, yeah, he was getting medical treatment and stuff like that. And then, so he had a clearance to ride. And um, unfortunately, we were at. Uh, I think it was Star West or Paris Raceway somewhere doing a night practice session yeah. there under lights and um, and he had a seizure while he was riding and yeah. um, and uh, passed out, crashed, hopped back up and um, basically he, yeah, then 30 seconds later dropped to the floor and passed away um, right in front of all of us, which yeah. was um, pretty sad because he was, he was uh, I think he was 18, um, yeah, the, one of the best motocross riders and supercross riders that Australia had um, had seen in years, especially at that age. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he died of an aneurysm on his brain, um, but they didn't pick up. And um, so that was really, really, really sad time for all of us. And um, so, yeah, he come from the same area as what Chad Reed comes from down in yeah. down here in New South Wales, in that Maitland area. And, um, you know, he was basically, you know, he was a guy who was doing, was going to probably do what Chad had done yep. over there now. Um, he was to the same sort of caliber, um, very talented, very fast, natural, yeah. um, just like Chad um, is. So, um, yeah, we come back from there, um, yeah, mid-90s with that, and um, which was pretty bad. And then, and then... Uh, I kept on, I raced for another year or so. And then I was about to, I turned 16, which here you can turn pro when you're 16. Yep. And um, so I was about to go to the States and do a year in the States. And uh, we used to have a series in summer up north that a guy called John Fenton used to run, um, which was Queensland Supercross Series. And um, so we're doing Cairns, Townsville, you work your way down. Yeah, right. And um, unfortunately, uh, I smashed both my wrists um, in a practice session yep. up there in, I think it was in Townsville and, um, and that come up short on a triple jump. And, um, so then yeah, had like eight, nine weeks off, yeah. um, for all that and then sort of come back and didn't really want to do it anymore after that. Um, it's a bit of a bad taste. It was a bit of a bad taste yeah. and, um, you know, probably those first sort of major thing. I don't know why it was sort of been a little bit of a wuss probably. <laughs> um, but um, so then I yeah stopped 
I was doing an apprenticeship as a toolmaker at the time at, yep. uh, at K&J Thermal. And um, so, yeah, I just went back and worked and everything like that. And then um, it was funny, we went, when we were in America, um, years, you know, a couple of years before that, we went and had a look at Walker Evans, um, the, um, the stadium trucks. All right. Um, so there used to be Mickey Thompson stadium truck series over there, which was massive. We used to have them at the Coliseum, wow. all that sort of stuff, massive crowds. And then I think the series went bust over there. So like a lot of people... Similar to nowadays stuff? like in a, On dirt. Yeah, On right. dirt. Yeah. So it used to be in, you know, stadiums, you know, basically the same as a Supercross. They come in, put all the dirt yep. in, make all the jumps and everything got that. Um, so we went and had a look at those cars to buy for to bring back here because people were bringing them back here we'd, and we ended up, we didn't do it. And then some guys ended up bringing those cars back and we thought, oh, well, you know, they had them for sale. So we thought, well, we'll go and have a look at that and yep. buy them. Sort of similar to a motocross bike, but you got a cage and four yeah. wheels. And <laughs> it's going to be safer. Oh, heaps safer. <laughs> heaps safer. And um, so I think I was 17 and we went to the first race in, in uh, Canberra. And so we went and done, we went there and I was pretty quick. Um, but uh, didn't have any panels left on the car. Yeah. Um, a couple of guys wanted to fight me <laughs> <laughs> um, and all that sort of stuff, yep. the, um, which sort of happens. Um, so it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And we went and raced, raced those, which was really, really, really awesome. Do you remember what they were powered by at that time? Uh, well, this had a uh, specially built Dodge engine. Wow. Uh, hand built. Uh, the V in it was so tight that it was just, yeah, impossible. I think there's... Still one truck here. I think Danny Reedy's um, got got one of the trucks. Wow. Um, still, um, and yeah, it was unbelievable. Like the, the technology in them, you know, back in the late nineties yep. was awesome um, compared to yeah, you know, even probably now. Yeah. Um, and they were just so fun, so fun to drive. You know, you'd big jumps, you could roll and land back on wheels, and yeah, awesome. Where you go. <laughs> yep. Um. So we don't we ran that series for one year, and. Um, at the time, or well, won the series, and at the time, Yokohama was the sponsor. Mm-hmm. And so, after the first race, the guy from Yokohama, who was a motorsport manager, comes up and goes, "Oh, well, hey, we'll sponsor you. We'll give you tires. We'll, yeah, you know, do this and do that." And which was which was cool. And so that's where um, the involvement with V8 Supercars come along. Was that we? He was, he said, "Well, hey, why don't you guys?" have a look at doing V8 supercars. Mm. And so we started looking around. We went to Bathurst, had a look. Um, and, yeah, we went and had a look at a, a uh, Commodore from uh, Larry Perkins' place to buy. Yep. We went and had a look at a Ford, a few different things. And then we decided, well, we'll go and buy a Ford because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and we bought Steve Alry's, um Ford. He's, uh, I think it was EL Ford, yep. um, which was from Tony Longhurst's place. And um, we started our own team with a couple of guys who we knew who worked at uh, some other V8 supercar places wow. um, in the corner of a shed at the factory and um, went and raced. You know, the first time, first time we went and raced something at Lakeside was the first time we drove it. And, um, I'm going to so, ask you about this. So we decided that we, we uh, would drive around at Crumbin in Traders Way where we were. It was a, um, it was a U-shape street oh, wow. and so 
we decided at night, it was, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, oh, I better work out if I can change the gears. So you've never uh, driven it? Never driven it, yeah. So we drove up and down the street working out how to change the gears and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was the first time I drove a V8 supercar on the road. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's crazy. Uh, crazy time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, we went um, to Lakeside and done it. was a, I don't know what sort of series it was. There was a couple, one at Lakeside, one at Eastern Creek. Mm-hmm. We'd done that. And then we had decided, well, we'll go race the, the supercar series in, in 1998. So you never come from carts or nothing? No, nothing, no. Damn. No, never driven on the on a tarmac road or racetrack um, or anything. Any any really motocross background. Motocross mm. and yeah, a little bit of bit of car driving over jumps. Yeah, crazy. Yes. Yep. So f- a fair a fair bit of difference of you know what normal people, especially nowadays. Do. Yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Um, you know, it's go karts, go coke, mm. all the way through, and then yeah, you know, your formulas and all that sort of stuff. So yep. fair bit different and. Um, so there was a test day at uh, Calder Park. And so with Cam's, you know, Cam said, well, you'll have to get everyone to sign sign off yep. and that, so that we can give you a license. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. Yep. And so we went there, test day, everything like that. Everyone was pretty good and, we, you know, sign off for license and everything like that. And uh, unfortunately, I'd pissed off John Faulkner. Oh, yeah. um, somehow, I think I was I got in his way on the track, wow. and I pissed him off, <laughs> and uh, he wasn't going to sign it off. He had the shits with me, <laughs> but um, anyway, he signed it off, and yeah, we got our license and um, yep. went to um, I think Sandown was the first race we ever had, and uh, went there and um, made it through the weekend without killing myself or anyone yep. else. <laughs> awesome, in an EL EL Falcon, yep. yeah, mate. I I have a memory and. I tried to look for it on the net. I can't find it. But Lakeside, probably the same year because it was an EL Falcon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't something happen with one of Queensland's favourite sons or something with yourself? Yeah. Would that be right or <laughs> yes. wrong? Yeah, that'd be right. I've got this right. memory as a child. I remember mm. being at the races mm. and it's the year after uh, Peter Brock retired. Yep. And something happened there, hey? I- yes, I did. I was getting lapped by Dick Johnson and um, I was – well – wasn't really funny at the time, funny now, but uh, getting lapped by Dick Johnson and he had John Bell right behind him, which was his teammate. Okay, yep. And um, so coming onto the main straight, I could see that they caught me and uh, they'll go lap me. So yep. coming onto the main straight, and you actually see it on the footage too, um, my hand was out the window pointing yep. for him to go up the inside mm-hmm. of me. And... Um, Anyway, he ran into the back of me and spun me and spun himself. Mm. And I believe that that was the last race that Dick was actually winning and could have won before he retired. Serious? Apparently so. Yeah. And um, so anyway, after the race, he didn't come and say say anything to me or any of that. And Barry Sheen, who um, was good mates with Dick, yeah, come up and he goes, goes, Cock, you know that wasn't your fault. And I thought, yeah, I know that. Mm. And he goes, oh, I can't believe that. Can't believe that he ran into you. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And then I had Bowie come up and I saw Bowie. I was walking and Bowie goes, ah, oh, mate, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yep. I said, yeah, you're saying don't worry about it because you won the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it helped me. <laughs> yeah. I hate. So, but um, yeah, that was uh, that was my first year of racing V8s. V8s. And um, I got in a way of a, um, a Queensland supercar legend who- um, At Lakeside. At Lakeside. Um, yeah. 
sort of yeah. sort of like pr- probably been, you know, doing something silly in some other sport with a, um, you know, one of the legends of the sport. But um, yeah, that that was uh, that was that's what happened. And yeah, I had yeah. A, I had I have. I was there. And I remember. I remember. And I was. I was looking on the net. I'm like, I remember something happened. I remember yourself, and I don't remember what it was exactly. But uh, that's uh, that's it. Mm. How was how was it driving that car? Was that good? Do you remember? Yeah, supercars were pretty cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I like at, that time? at that time, it was it was really cool. They were all yeah. cool cars, and well, cool cars. Yep. Yeah, you know, nothing like a road car. Mm. You know, we had. You know, but well, they're more like a road car than what the cars are now. Mm. Um, you could say so. At least the panels were road car panels. Yep. Um, and that, but there's nothing inside. There's a you know you strip all the inside out and away you go. I remember Ford used to, you know, manufacture shells for for the Ford teams, yep. and you know they pull them off the production line at a certain part um, of, oh, wow. of the production line down at Ford. Um, so you know none of the sound deadening or yep. anything like that was put in. Um, so they used to do that, and then, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the Holden guys what they did. Yeah, but I know when we went went to Holden um, back in 2003, they used to actually supply the car and parts to us. Oh, um, really? Like so a- yeah, so you used to you know get a side roof yep. floor and everything like that. It was probably easier that way a little yep. bit. Um. But uh, yeah, I think now, you know, like all the panels were the standard panels and everything like that. And then now, like there are some some models of supercars that we've been through iterations of, where you know the doors are a special door because it's only half because of the body's too long or yeah, right. or whatnot. So you know, you could say yeah, they're more of a they were back then they were more of a road car, yep, um, or closer to a road car. Than what you could ever ever be compared to these days. Compared to now, yeah, yeah. definitely. The the say that El era and that like you would have been working in a workshop, just like a mechanics bay. I'm guessing compared to what it would be now to run a team and your later years of a team. How was that? Yeah, it's just I I think it's more, you know, it's more raw racing. Yeah, where you know a guy who could go and afford a race car. Yep. Yeah, I think we paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that EL. Is that what they were back back yep. back then that we yep. that we bought? Um, you could go and race. Mm. Yeah, you didn't have to race a whole championship or anything like that. You could go and race here or there, mm. wherever you wanted to, or how many times a year you wanted to go and race if you had a license. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, and you could go with your mates. You know, sorta. Yeah. You know, that sort of style of racing. Yep. Um, is probably more enjoyable than. Where 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 it is where you know it costs millions and millions of dollars um, to go and race with supercars now, and the pressure and having sponsors and all that mm. sort of stuff, you know, back in that era, is probably more enjoyable mm. um, for a lot of the guys, and especially the guys who were sort of you know might have had a good business and and stuff like that, and and wanted to be able to you know do a few races. Yep. Um, you know, I think the the professionalism. Of it, you know, has grown obviously for sure through yeah. the years, um, which has made a you know massive, massive difference. What I see, I think, is like there's like a back then there was a lot of like bush smarts, I yeah. guess you'd say, sort of thing. Like you have a look at um, like Paul Romano's cars. Mm-hmm. You have a look at Tony Longhurst was building the cars out of the Gold Coast. Yep. Yourself having cars. Stone Brothers were building their own car. Like a yeah. lot of a lot of people were turning their hands at building their own stuff. Yeah. Now there's only a couple that really. 
will do the whole the whole package, isn't there? Really? Yeah. Well, most most back then, most teams used to build their own cars. The whole lot, eh? The whole like lot. Perkins Engineering. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of them. Yeah. A lot of teams. Yeah. A lot of teams definitely built their own cars. Um, maybe not engines, but definitely cars. Yep. Yeah. Because you could go and buy. Yeah. You go and buy your gearbox. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You go and buy your rear end, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. All all that, and then yeah, you could put everything together and build everything. Um, yeah, a lot of teams would outsource cages to to be done. Peter yep. Behag here on the Gold Coast used to do a lot of the Ford stuff. Oh, okay. Um, with just the cages. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fit out of the car and everything like that, the teams used to do them themselves. Mm. Yeah, you know, York at Stone Brothers, they built their own own stuff. Dick's guys used to build their own yep. stuff. Um, and you're right. Now, there's there's not that many. Mm. Um, they do it. Yeah, you know, um, Eight obviously do a lot of the Commodore stuff for yep. everyone. Um, supply a lot of the parts, all the common, a lot of common parts too. Yeah. Um, for everyone. So, like you look at the pedal know. boxes, the wheel sets, the everything. You know. Mm, exactly, and you know, um, like yeah, you know, Walkinshaws used to used to do it. Like we, you know, when we when we were there at Walkinshaws, you know, they had um, Dencar used to build all the cars. Which is a separate business okay. uh, for the three teams, um, which was which was really cool. Um, good quality. You know, they used to supply engines for the three teams. Wow. All that sort of stuff it was it was a big sort of production area for 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 um, Commodores, and that was before Triple Eight come along. Mm. Um, yeah, then you look at the Ford side. You know, there's not really many people. You know, well, there's you know Dicks up here still. Yep. Um, which they won't sell cars. They won't. They'll, it's no. just the just the two cars. Just the two cars, yep. or especially even Pinsky, Pinsky thing last year. They wouldn't sell the cars. Yeah. Um, you look at you know Tickford. Yeah. You know, and then now you look at Kelly's. Yeah, you know, Kelly's are doing their own stuff. They changed to the Mustangs, and mm. they're doing their own stuff. Um, so yeah, it's a totally different era of you know being able to actually rock up, someone rocking up, buy a car, go racing. Yeah. Um, now you got to have a cast of thousands yeah. um, and the expense is, is more expensive and unfortunately you know like we we're talking about with NASCAR with the rules of how they you know try to restrict and try to contain costs and everything like that sometimes yeah. that goes against them mm. and you know it actually costs a lot more um, and I think over the years supercars have tried to do the right thing Definitely. Of, of yep. that, try to do it, but it's probably backfired on a lot of them. And, you know, it makes it very, very difficult for a lot of the teams, especially for smaller teams, um, very difficult to be able to stay in, stay in racing and and everything like that where, you know, your bigger guys can do it because they've got the sponsors and they've got the drivers, mm. the name drivers and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's very, it's very hard. It'd be hard even just going back to the smaller team now, it'd be hard to have a small team to keep up with the rules. Mm. You know, just there's the rule of uh, evolution and the way they change and that. Yeah. You, you need someone just dedicated to, to keeping that track, you know, I think now. so. Yeah, you know. exactly. It's, um, you know, I, I think it's harder with the less people, it's harder. Mm. Um, and even though they have restrictions on, you know, how many people can go over race and all yep. that sort of stuff, it's still, you know, it's still in the workshop of, what you can do and, and everything like that. and yep. But it's also harder because we're so small as a country, the limited amount of people that we have. Mm. And I, I think, you know, the amount of hours all of these mechanics that work at race teams work, 
and you know they get a lot of them get burnt out, and it's hard for people to go get into race teams also. Yeah. Um, motorsport's a hard thing, isn't it? It is. It is, and you lose. Yeah, you know, it's amazing how many people you actually lose out of motorsport and good people. Yeah. Because they just get burnt out or they get used up by, you know, people you know, some people don't appreciate them or what what they've done. Yeah. Um, then you get the other ones that just do the full circle of, of life. They come through one team, through yep. another team, through another <laughs> team, for, back and then they come back around and go, Oh, we'll start again. Yep. And then <laughs> keep going around the revolver. Yeah. How how did you go? Like you you're running a Kawasaki team, yep. right? How does someone go from running a Kawasaki team to tra- running a supercar setup? Well, that's a huge change, eh? Well, a massive change, yeah. How do you do that? Um, we just winged it. Really? really? At the time? It was... <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. We just winged it. Looking back on it, is that how it was? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. That's sort of most of, you know, we were, it's sort of like, you know, trying to take big bites out of something. Yeah. And, um, you know, the bigger the bite, the more risk you take. But if you chew like hell and put the hard work in, you can, yeah. you know, you'll you can try to make it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's what we've sort of done all our lives with business um, is we're taking a risk, um, taking a ma- massive bite and chewed like hell, yeah. um, and just worked, done whatever we could to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. In motorsports, no different way um, from when we first started to it. Yep. Until you know, um, basically until the end of it, um, of of supercars, um, you know we, you know we had a very competitive team um, towards you know towards the end or the you know early two thousand or mid two thousands I should say, mm. um, very competitive team. We you know we had Jason Bright drive for us, um, you know we could have won. You know I think well if it wasn't a Marcus Ambrose here we would have won championships. We finished yep. second. I think once and third once um, to to Marcus. Um, yeah, we had Greg Murphy drive for us. Um, yeah, um, it's a it's a fantastic list of drivers through the years, eh? Yeah, you know, um, there's good, there's really good parts of it. You know, where we we could have actually, if one thing had to turn another way, sort yep. of the way it did, you know, could have been a lot different. Could have had you know won a championship or mm-hmm. or whatnot. But um, yeah, that's just. That's just life with everything, you know. Yep. We got to a stage with with the supercars where it was okay. Well, you know, well I know I did. You know, I didn't actually enjoy it anymore because it was it was difficult because you you know you weren't getting the results and you're getting yep. frustrated with engineers and you're getting frustrated with how you're going. And yeah, you know, got to a stage where it was well, hang on, I don't actually enjoy turning up. Wow. To go racing. Um, I know that sounds weird. People go, well, Jesus, why wouldn't you enjoy that? It's better than a nine-to-five job. Um, but, you know, on the other side, on the flip side of that, I had a business that, mm. was just start with, that we had started that was, you know, sort of to that stage of either it takes off and you put everything into it or it just, you know, does the similar type of thing as what I was doing. Yep. Um, pardon me. So that's where, you know, I made the decision back in 2006 was, well, I don't enjoy this anymore and business starting to take off. So, you know, let's go yep. and concentrate on the business. Mate, that's I, – I wonder how many drivers, and I bet you it's a lot, that say that they're not enjoying it at a, to, at a time, hey? Oh, exactly. And I think, you know, I think it doesn't make a difference what sport it is. I, I think people mm. – 
people get burnt out yep. too um, because most most of us from an early age are doing motorsport or, you know, you're doing a sport. Yep. Um, a lot of people who do it professionally from that early age of, you know, three, four, five, six, whatever it may be, are, are doing it and they've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. Mm. And it gets to a stage of where it burns burns you out or it can burn you out or you lose that passion for it. Every conversation you have. Yeah. Everything you do. Yeah. It's just that, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's where it got to, for me, it got to a stage of where it just, you know, I didn't enjoy, enjoy turning up to the tracks. I didn't enjoy, you know, I enjoyed the racing part. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy anything else after that. Mm. As in, you know, having to deal with sponsors or deal with this or deal with that or deal with, you know, issues. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, but didn't enjoy it. And it was like, well, hang on. I don't enjoy it. We've got this business over here that could be really good. Yep. So let's go and put our effort into that. And that's sort of... That's yeah, really what happened with why we left supercars and um, you know left sort of motorsport for for a couple of years. You said the name before, Marcus Ambrose. Yep. What did he have that was good? Um, what, what was it? Because it was incredible. Mongrel, <laughs> mongrel. Just, just that eh? a <laughs> yep. determination. Yep. Um, and a shitload of talent. Um, yeah, I drove with Marcus in two thousand and two at Bathurst and um, the five hundred race, which was Queensland Raceway. Mm. Um, AUs. AUs, yep. yes. And, you know, he was, um, he was a different person at the track um, compared to away from the track. Really? Um, Marcus's thing was very, I go to do a job yeah. and that is to drive. And people say, you know, sort of say that he was arrogant and, and stuff like that and, you know, probably a bit not rude, but on the sort of border of it. Yeah. Um, and he didn't like really dealing with fans and all that sort of stuff that much. Um, but, you know, as a Ford, you know, people with Ford fans loved him. He could do no wrong. Because <laughs> he was winning. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't make a difference about anything else. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, that's, that's why he was so successful. Mm. Um, you know, he went to the States. He, he tried... He done things that people wouldn't do. Yep. As in, you know, someone here who'd won a couple of championships, who was at the top of their game, getting paid good good dollars, yep. um, wouldn't just go, okay, well, you know what, I'm out of here, and I'm gonna go to America yep. and start off at the bottom. Um, which he sort of he'd done that prior when he was, you know, left Australia to go to Europe to try to chase a Formula One dream, yep. and you know he was very successful, very quick and very good, but. You know, it's back in the day, like it is now, or even worse now, where unless you have, you know, money behind you from some oil company in wherever, yeah. or your friend, your friend's dad's the president of whatever country <laughs> it is, and they have oil, yeah, um, <laughs> or whatever it may, might yep. be, you can't get to Formula One. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. It yeah. Doesn't make a difference how talented you are. No, you know, unless you have the money, you can't get there. So. Yeah, that was like that when he was over there also and that's why he came back to Australia was because, you know, he didn't have the money to be able to keep on continuing. Yep. And, um, you know, he could have probably went to IndyCar. Um, I know he went and done an Indy Lights test um, the year before he actually started um, supercars. Oh, really? Because um, we raced with IndyCar used to do Honda. When Honda was a sponsor, they used to do a thing called the Young Guns. Oh. And they'd done it for a couple of years and 
I done the first year uh, with Marcus. They picked ten guys who are under age of twenty one or twenty two yep. or something like that. And then if you won the race, you get an Indy car test or Indy lights test. Wow. Um, so he went and tested over in America, and he was quite quick and all that sort of stuff. But he didn't have the money to. Yeah. Yeah. It was another thing the you next had to step. pay. You yeah. had to pay to be able to do the series. And he didn't have that money to be able to do that. But, um, yeah, you, took, you take your hat off to that guy because he went to the States, started at the bottom, and he was very successful. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, he didn't win an over race. Um, you know, people would go, well, he didn't win an over race. Well, a lot of people haven't won an over race. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yep. he won a road course race. He come very close to winning over races. Um, yeah, you know, I used to go over there. Well, when I was work, would you know, for work trips and stuff yep. like that. Um, you know, a couple of times stayed at his place there. Um, you know, Mark's a great guy. You know, it got to a stage where, you know, I could understand, you know, for him, where you would get burnt out doing thirty something race weekends a year. Mm. Um, then you got to do your sponsorship stuff. Then you got to do, you know, your testing. Yeah, and everything like that. It's only fifty. It's a job, eh? It's only fifty-two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> you're it, doing, doesn't, it doesn't take you're, much. You're doing thirty-eight ra- race weekends. Um, yep. So you can understand why he wanted to come back. And um, yeah, I think for him, I think it was probably a wrong decision to come back and come back into supercars. I think so. Um, and that, where he could have just come back and done nothing, but you know, he made that choice, and that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think from you know, I think probably the passion wasn't still there to a certain point of what it was before he left. Yep. But the technology had changed a fair bit. And then from what he'd been driving, I don't think the the, the lack the, there was no lack of talent. Its talent was always still there. Yeah. Um, but it was just different, different era. Um, so much had changed in that. Uh, it was nine years or something. Yeah, something like that. While, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, what I appreciate too was I, I went over to Indianapolis. I went over mm-hmm. and seen him race NASCAR. And that, and um, he was a bit of a fan favorite. Yeah, like he he built himself up to to being a fan favorite over in the states. There's people walking around with Stanley shirts and Stanley flags, and yeah, you know, it's pretty cool to see. So yeah, he done an awesome job over there. Pre-social media too. Yes, exactly. You, know, you can't. You, nowadays, it's easy to create a profile that can go international. Yep. But when he went over in 2005 or whatever, that wasn't a thing. So yeah, that's it's right. Cool. So, yeah, it was cool. What do you reckon of NASCAR when you're there? It's pretty pretty good, eh? Oh, it's pretty cool. We went to um, I went to Bristol, oh, um, yeah. Tennessee. So it's uh, the shortest yep. track in the series, highest bank, highest bank, and yeah. quickest speed. Oh, so fastest race or whatever it is, like they fastest call it. lap speed, or yeah, whatever. or something like yep. that. They call it in the in the series, and it was funny. So I was over there working. Another mate of mine, Tim Lay, who's a um, who. Is a race car driver or ex race car driver? Um, is he in a relation to the guys that are racing on the weekend? Lay, do you know? That was Tim Lay. He finished second on the weekend. Yeah, yes, that's him. Yep, that's okay, him. Cool. So, yeah, yep, he runs some car dealerships down in Orange, and um, so he's mates with Marcus as well. Right, and so we were over. There. Tim and I flew over, and we stayed at Marcus's. Those guys stuffed around and played golf and all this sort of shit. I went to work. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, done some work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we jumped in the car, and we had, he had another mate. He's Marcus old man was there. Another mate, his Gibbo from uh, Northern Territory, who's the fencer, was yeah. there. And uh, so we drove down to Bristol from Charlotte, which was a few hours. Yeah. And um, we we're sitting, three of us sitting in the back, cracking cans of beers, 
while the boys were driving, we were drinking away. Anyway, we get to Bristol, <laughs> drop our stuff off into Marcus' mother home there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, quick, go on, jump on the golf buggy, let's go. And we're going through the tunnel. And there was this Richard Petty driving experience. Yep. There, and they're doing, um, they're doing rides. Anyway, there's a massive line of people, a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Marcus was like, oh, come down here, come down here. And me and Tim are like, no, mate, we got to get beaten up here, push, yeah. trying to push in. Anyway, so he's walked straight to the front of the line because he used to work for Richard Petty Driving Experience when he first went there. Oh, really? In America. Yep. And um, he's like, yeah, come down here, get your suit on, do this. And Tim and I jumped in a car each yep. and Marcus got his head in the window to the driver who he, who he knew because he'd worked with him. Yeah. Going, go as fast, go quicker with these guys in there. And it was the best experience. Never felt so much, you know, your bum pushing through the floor wow. of a car. Downforce. Downforce. Yeah. And also probably being half drunk um, <laughs> from the beers on the trip down. Yeah. Um, but um, it was a pretty cool experience. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Have, yeah. Have, you got, have you had a chance to drive one? Uh, no, I never drive one. Didn't drive one? No, yep. never have. Cool to get a bride in one though. It would be pretty cool. But yeah, um, yeah they're, they're just a totally different beast. Yeah. Yeah, so especially someone like yourself that's driven professionally for so many years, it would be a good experience, you know? Yeah. Just an outsider. You see him in Vegas doing the hire thing and yeah. I look at that and go, gee, it'd be fun, but you wouldn't get to appreciate it as much as someone that actually drives a car. Yeah. Right? You know? Yeah, I think so. Um, my old man's driven one. Yeah. He drove one at uh, Disney um, over in Florida. Yeah, right. At a conference and, yeah, yeah. drove one. So. Did, so did you go to the NASCAR that weekend in Bristol? The race? Uh, yes, Mate, that would have been because that's for for people listening. Like that's one of the ones that people say to go to, you know, especially when NASCAR was booming. Yeah, and so yeah, it's the shortest track, quickest, highest banks, yeah. and crowds are on top of you. Crowds are on top of you. So when you're actually sitting in the grandstand, yep. when the race is going, the actual the the grandstand shakes. Really? Yeah, you can feel it shake and move. Wow. Because it's like a vortex. So this isn't just the beers? No, no. <laughs> it's like a vortex. Yep. And the, just the wind from the, from the cars going yep. around makes all the grandstand move and shake and everything like that. It's, wow. yeah. Yeah, 100 and, I think they get 120,000, 140,000 people to, well, used to get to that race. Yep. And, yeah, massive. What, what I appreciate with American sport and, um, you know, after going to a lot of events in Australia and that, we went to uh, Indianapolis, mm. 180,000 people on, for the Brickyard 400. They open up eight lanes of traffic. Everyone's out in 20 minutes. The feel, everything about it is just so well done. Yes. Uh, uh, the crowds are, I don't know, it's just got a different vibe to Australian motorsport. Oh, exactly. And, you know, they, they do it well. Really well. Over there. They do it well. They try to get people in and out, all yep. that sort of stuff. I remember here we had a um, first race at Queensland Raceway. Oh, yeah. That they had. And I think, you know, there was traffic that was banked up for like 10, 15 k's trying to get into mm. there. It was and like a five-hour drive or something. Something like that. And most of the drivers got caught in the traffic. We couldn't get in there. Like some, some, really? some only got there like, you know, like two minutes before the warm-up. Yep. On the yeah, on the um, Sunday morning for the race. Wow. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, we don't do here in Australia. We don't do sporting events of getting people in and out. No. Really easy. No, we've got a good event, but the other side of mm. it, you know, like those things, like where they just shut down. Yeah. 
you open the path up so people can get in yep. and out and then worry about the rest. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. Indianapolis is in the city, basically, in Speedway. Yeah, you know? that's right. Um, so they just worried about the people in there. Yep. That was 180,000 people. And everyone drove a car by themselves, it seems, in America. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. The biggest car we can yeah. get by ourselves. Yeah. But, yeah, it just really opened my eyes up. Yeah, know? they do do a good job. So now F1. At some point, you got into F1 as well with the PWR side of it. Is that in your time as well? Uh, yeah, so I think it was about 2008 was the same year we we started with F1. Yep. Um, we had a – I wasn't there, but uh, we had a motorsport show in the UK. Oh, right. And so we'd opened up our branch in the UK. We had it open for a couple of years and it wasn't really – Sort of going that, well, like manufacturing or just no, a, just a just an office with a yep. salesman, yep. And a couple of salesmen in there, and we weren't sort of getting much traction yep. and all that sort of stuff. We we're getting a little bit, and so we went to I think it was an auto sports show, and so there's the UK guy in the UK who who ran the office and still runs the office now over there. Yeah, um, our head engineer Matthew Bryson, who who's here on the Gold Coast and Keys. Yeah, and. Um, so Andy, who runs the UK, saw Pat Simmons. Um, okay. So Pat Simmons was a uh, designer, uh, been around for a long, long time. So Williams era, yep. um, very famous w- Williams designer part there. Also Renault and all that sort of stuff. So at the time, he, I think he was at Renault. Yep. And um, so they sort of grabbed him or tackled him, I'd say. Um, and <laughs> pulled him into pulled the stand. Down. Yeah, pulled yep. him into the stand, and and um, you know, Pat said, "Well, if you can make make a radiator, he said, we get a lot of people tell us they can do this, do that, and they'll do it, and they'll, you know, we'll never hear from them again or never see them." Yeah. And so he gave us a design. Um, we made a radiator. It probably took us about a month to make it. Yeah. Um, it was a funny looking shape and all that sort of stuff, um, like Formula One stuff is. It's not straightforward. And so we made it, they tested it, and then somehow Red Bull, um, who ran um, Renault Engines, got a hold of it. Wow. And said, oh, we want you to make a radiator and, or a cooler and all, yeah, and that for us to test at winter testing. Yep. So then another couple of months later, we, we got all that stuff to them. And it was literally, we were actually taking months to make these one or individual two, part. yeah, right. three parts because it was just all different shapes and and it was coming up with ways of how to manufacture them and to turn it into a, more of a process being able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so Red Bull come back to us after winter testing and said, um, we want you guys on the car for this season. We're like, okay. And we said, okay, how many sets do you want? Oh, we want like 30 sets. Holy crap. And we're like, holy crap. That'll be like three years of making <laughs> while we're going <laughs> this time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we come up with ways of how to, you know, how to make them quicker and how to, yep. you know, engineer them better and all that sort of stuff and the processes. And the Red Bull guys, we met them in Melbourne at the first round at um, the GP. And they said, well, we want you to, you know, supply us. Um, we can we measured in testing from the radiators that we were running to running your radiators was 0.3 of a second a lap gain. Wow! Um, because it was a, we we gave them a restriction in drag. 
so less drag and that so created yeah. more speed um so like oh that's cool mm. and then they're like well hang on we want you guys to do a deal with us and supply us but we don't want you to supply the other teams and we're like oh well we can't really do that and they're like which teams and, you, and oh yeah so there's a red one next year and there's a yeah. mercedes team there and wow. all that sort of stuff and oh yeah we don't want you to supply them <laughs> and so that's how our red bull relationship started yep and you know we're a technical partner uh, with Red Bull Formula One, we're a technical partner with, you know, most of the Red Bull stuff around the world of, of motorsport. We're a technical partner with, with those teams. Yeah. Um. So that's where that sort of started, and that sort of grew, and we, you know, in that stage, um, that was when, Red Bull won, their three or four world championships in a row with Vettel. Yeah. Um. And Mark Webber was there. Um. And you know, we had a very good run with all all that, but it produced, it made us push our limits of manufacturing and push our limits of technology of what we, we, we could have and and how we re- reacted to to change and how we could put that through um, a process yeah. um, in in manufacturing and um, you know to be able to you know have that technology run down from what we what we were doing in Formula One to what we're doing in someone's road car or someone's burnout car or yep. or someone's you so know, it did drag come through. through. Yeah. Wow. And you know, a lot of the stuff now everyone thinks probably thinks that oh it's all specialized stuff and only goes to Formula One. What well, a lot of it is now, but the technology actually comes down. Mm. And that, that's why it, um, your motor your prototype vehicles are that's why the manufacturers support it, isn't it? Yeah. So it goes filters down, I guess. Yeah, and as technology is, you know, you look at Formula E. Yep. I suppose it's, you know, it's the green. Yeah. Technology of of batteries and and you know all that sort of stuff, and I think you know one day we'll probably will. Might not have a, a you know, a race or Formula One cars with engines in them. Yeah. You know, maybe not. I, I don't know, um, but. Yeah, that's why manufacturers support different categories and different series around the world yep. is so that they can, whatever they're aligned to at the time, they can push through and then push through that technology. Yeah, and that's yeah, it's huge, eh? Like, to, to see that and to see someone that's been involved in it, to see, okay, this this has come from this and this yeah. is where it's at now. You know? Yeah. It's cool to see. Yeah, exactly. Do you, um, like, when you're doing something with Formula One, you say a technical partner... It's literally not just supply a product and walk away, hey, I'm, I'm guessing. like they, it, they, they must want some support over the years as well, I'm, I'm guessing. Or how, how does that work? Yeah, so we we do, you know, a fair a fair bit. I think I think the good thing about how, how we sort of done it with Formula One was it doesn't really make a difference what the, who, who the customer was or the team was. Yeah. You know, we service. always still – the service yeah. and the support – we always still gave that to them. Um, you know, some teams paid more for that. Mm-hmm. Um, some teams probably got more than what they paid for. Yep. Um, but we, that was just how we were with, you know, the passion of being able to, you know, uh, come up with a solution for engineering, something to do that was very difficult that no one else could do. Mm. You know, um, I know like, you know, when the first went to, we first went to McLaren with Honda engines, um, you know, to cool the batteries um, for the for the the power pack, 
um, for the Honda engine. Yeah. The way that they designed it was uncoolable. Like you couldn't, you know, no one, no one else could build a cooler yeah. to actually design to be able to fit how they built the power packs for the batteries. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we ended up coming up with a design um, of how to do it and we turned water around in one tube um, so that it come in and out of the same tube um, and it was basically like big, you know, sort of like fingers pointing together yeah. um, that would get strapped to this power pack and cool, and cool the, um, the battery for it. Um, and, you know, to this day I think they still use the same, same cooler. Wow. Um, and um, but you know, it's you know, you're talking thirty or forty thousand dollars for a cooler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's where that's where it is. And that's you know, the, when you try to start to produce stuff that's you know, they're all not standard shape. They're not square. The you know, everything is all you know, is either twisted, <laughs> it's mm. cut in funny shapes. Um, the fins are you know, turned a little bit sideways on a different angle. Um, and that to come up with the ways to manufacture one-off pieces, yep. um, all cost money. Mm. Um, and that's been, yeah, obviously a big winner for PWR is because no one else can turn around in a short time frame um, to be able to manufacture something, you know, for Formula One like PWR can. And that's, you know, why they have, I think, uh, out of a whole series, they, have, they don't have one team. Wow. So it's one team that they don't supply. Now you're not part of it as such. Like your name's still on it. Yeah. That, 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 um, not that it's weird, but it's nice to carry a fair bit of pride still, hey? Oh, yeah, definitely. And definitely for, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the guys who are there still. You know, there's guys who have been there for 25 years. Wow. Um, who were there at the start. You know, there's, there was guys who are still there, who are there now, who were that K&J radiators. Really? You know, who when we when Keys left K and J after he sold it, yeah, um, yeah, and we started our own manufacturing um, stuff here, we said, oh yeah, rang up and said, oh, can we come and work for you guys? Yeah, you know, there's been guys probably over thirty odd years who work for our family for over thirty odd years. So you know, there is still a fair bit of pride. There's you know, pride of a business that you started that you didn't think that anyone would. You know, why would someone want to buy my radiators? Wow. You know, why would, you know, Larry Perkins want to buy a radiator off me? You know, that's how I thought back yep. in the 90s when I first started. Yeah. You know. It's like the imposter, hey? Yeah. You're like, why would they want the yeah. my stuff? Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, went from that to, to what it is now, to a public list company now with, you know, 300 odd people. Um, and I think market value of, you know, nearly 600 million. Um, is is amazing um and it's a big ship now yeah it's a big big ship <laughs> yeah. um and yeah it's even like when we floated you know we didn't think why why would people want to buy our shares yeah you know um next thing it, it just took off eh? it just took off <laughs> yeah. you know um first day of the share price doubled wow. um then we thought oh shit we floated it too cheap um but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was always a thing of and i suppose it's what we've always done is that you know you could have a fair price for a yep. fair deal all that sort of stuff and that's what we thought when we floated you know and you know you look at the the business is 
is very, very good and it's always growing. The technology is growing. Yep. The investment that they invest in the business is always growing um, to be able to produce better products. And, you know, they do a lot of, you know, a lot of one-off bespoke stuff. But there's, you know, a lot of stuff that people don't see, you know, within, you know, small car manufacturing stuff like Pagani's or Ferrari, yeah, you know, like Ferrari stuff or Porsches. Like we done the... Like uh, OEM stuff. OEM stuff. Like we yeah. done the Porsche 918 Spider. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, you know, Porsche produced 918 cars. Ah. Um, back, I don't know, uh, late 2000s or whatever it was. Is that the car that had the wheel motors? Uh, had some sort of different motor set up. I think it was like a... Hybrid wheel motor. There was something. a hybrid, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. So, yeah, we produced that for Porsche. Wow. Um, you know, we do, like, they do a lot of R&D stuff there for car manufacturers and, you know, for these new cars. And it gets to a point where it gets to the stage of, you know, the number, the volume of cars yep. turns on us because we can't produce that for cheap enough. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's where PWR has always been good. We didn't worry about. We don't want to produce high volume. Yeah. And and be cheap. Special. We special. want to produce small volume, have a quality good, and be expensive. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's always been successful. Um, and you know, people are willing to pay for good quality stuff that actually works. Yeah. To, to you know, specialist vehicles. Yeah. You know, the one the best the yeah. best that they can get, I guess. Hey? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's it's one of those things as a brand that's just been everywhere over the last twenty years, eh? Hey? Like Yeah, yeah it sure quite, has. It's it's amazing. You you know, sometimes you think you know what they're gonna do next, how are they gonna do, you know, what's the next part of what they're gonna do, you know, the you know, I know that you know, there's space companies that they deal with, there's aircraft companies, there's, you know, stuff like that, you know, is something going to be on the moon next, you know, yeah. or whatever. But and that's your name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is cool. I see this year um, the KTM MotoGP team, obviously Red Bull, Red mm-hmm. Bull KTM, uh, that, that's probably the tie-in at that point as well, but same thing, supplier of radiators, I'm pretty sure, for MotoGP now. So Yeah, M- MotoGP, also Honda. Um, as well, MotoGP, yeah, yeah. Um, I see um, that they're doing. Yeah. So yeah, MotoGP was yeah. That's probably it's probably KDM. I think has been last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Honda was last year as well. Yeah. Um, I know we we tried for a long time right. uh, with MotoGP. It was very difficult. Yeah. To sort of break into, um, obviously because you got the teams are in Europe. Mm. Um. And that, but then the factories, yeah, as in, well, the factories are in Europe as well. Um, but then the de- decisions get made in Japan. In Japan, yeah. Um, and the Japanese market is a very different market um, and very different um, to actually go to and deal with. Yeah. Um, might be a bit easier now, but I know, you know, when we were going there with our own, um, yeah, our own guy, our own distributor in Japan. And we go because we used to do the um, GT stuff for the oh, yeah. um, for the uh, like the DTM series that they used to run over there. Yeah. And it was based off DTM, so it was a controlled product. And you know the transition or the translation between you know going to a factory or going to Honda, for for example, and 
the guys that you're dealing with can't speak English. We can't speak Japanese. Yeah. And our our guy who was our distributor could do both. And then you could see him torn because, you know, lost in translation a little bit <laughs> of um of stuff. And so it was very hard. And you know, we had one stage of you know, go at Honda going, oh no, it's too expensive. We're going, well, hang on, if that's what you want, that's what you've got to pay. Yep. And you can't have anything else because that's what you have to have. Yep. Um, with, the, with the rules. And that was like a two-hour conversation of back and forth, back and forth. Just for this one. Just for this, on price, wow. on, on one thing. So, you know, that's where the, you know, if I say the Japanese side of things where, where you're dealing with the Japanese at the factory, yep. it's very, very, very difficult to... To yeah, you're dealing with so many people on mm. all different levels, but at the end of the day, you know, especially for Honda, the motorcycle team is the decisions are made in in the factory in Japan, not not in Europe at the race team. Absolutely. Um, so that that was a really really good thing. The guys who the engineers here who 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 got that deal to happen and done all the all the work on it, done yep. a very good job of all, all that. Um, you know, some sometimes you can go to a place and it can be really, really easy. Yeah. Or sometimes it can be really hard and you go, why did I go there? <laughs> <laughs> Bang your head against the wall. And that Brent Stevens, who's been uh, Valentino's mechanic for a lot of years, so I had him on a while back. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing from him saying the, the European engineer or Japanese European engineers yeah. that would come to the races were different to what you'd hear in the factory. So yeah. you get to the first test and... You don't hear anything until that team arrives. Yeah. It's like two teams basically. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you've got one of these um, different aspects for me to, to look at as well with your tool maker by trade. Yep. Plus your uh, racer. So you've seen both sides of it in professional business. What's been one of the better factories you've seen on your on your travels? Like I'm sure, like say going to NASCAR places and stuff, you've seen some pretty cool stuff along the way. Oh, there's some really good stuff. Like you, you know, you can see, you know, you go to Hendrick Motorsport, um, NASCAR team, yeah, mega factory, but you don't get to see a lot of it. Really? Um, yeah, especially some of some of the race teams that they, they restrict you. You know, Roush, we sort of we we would get to see everything. Yeah. You know, through the factory, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think probably you know manufacturing wise, like I've seen assembly plants at Porsche in Germany yep. um, where, uh, you know, they're, you know, 911s and everything's coming down to the assembly line and robots are going by you and wow. all that sort of stuff. You know, the 918 Spider, they built their own purpose-built assembly line for a product, a car that they only produced 918 of. Um, yeah, that's how specialised that one was. Yep. So it didn't disrupt their main main assembly lines. Um, you know, I've been to um, Roush Engineering in Detroit, where they do a lot of engineering for for Ford for mm. the road car stuff. Because they make the superchargers and Roush they, Mustangs yeah, and stuff. Don't they? they do stuff for the Mustangs. They do a lot of a lot of stuff just engineering wise for mm. for Ford yeah. um, in new cars. Um, yeah. And you get to see cars that you probably shouldn't see that's under a cover that yep. someone might show you that's a new car that's coming out in two or three years' time. Yep. Um, you know, first pre-production cars and all that sort of stuff. So you get to see a fair, fair, bit, fair bit of good stuff. Um, you know, Formula One factories are, are really, really hard to get into. Mm. You know, I've been to Ferrari where we've, we get through the front gate and we go to our office and then we come back out. You know, really? Stuff like that. So everyone's everyone's different. Yep. Um, yeah, Red Bull is 
is a pretty cool cool factory you know you got a car you know on its side with glass around it um as you walk in um all that sort of stuff you know there's yeah heaps of really cool stuff that you see coming from you know racing dirt bikes at hatches to to doing this stuff do you pinch yourself sometimes yeah sometimes you do you just go well hang on it's sort of you know how, yeah, life is pretty good. Lots um, of hard work and things. Yeah, but, yeah, a lot of hard work. But it's pretty surreal. You see, when yeah. I look at me, I'm, I'm been to some of these pretty cool places, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. There's um, no doubt about that. And, you know, you, you get to go to a lot of the you know, best racetracks around the world or to, you know, go and experience cool things that you'd never thought that you'd do. Um, and I suppose that's part of the journey. Yep. And being able to appreciate that um, is also good. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people when they're racing don't get to appreciate it because you're just so tied up in the, in that nine to five of racing, I guess. When you get on the other side of the business and sort of seeing it, I think you might get more of a chance, maybe more of a chance. I'm not sure. Hey? Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sometimes when you're doing stuff and as a job, yep. you might not appreciate as much as what it is if you if you look back and go, oh, hang on as a passion if you go and someone yep. else who's very passionate about that go, goes and does it you know they'll wet their pants yeah <laughs> um yeah yep. that type of thing yeah um so yeah it's 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 definitely cool so you did supercars from el 98 to about 2008 yep how did it change in that time <clears throat> um the cars changed a fair bit the technology changed yeah. Um, you know, a fair bit in, the, in, in 10 years, the technology changed. Um, yeah, the sport got more expensive yeah. Um, yeah. in that 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, just technology with, you know, more so the computer side, the computer side of things. Like the data. The data yeah. and, yep. and that. you got more data and having the people to be able to read that and translate that properly. Yeah. Um, is a huge, huge, huge amount of things um, compared to when we first started. You know, we probably we probably had a computer, um, <laughs> but we yeah didn't really know how to use it and read yep. it. Um, and I suppose going from a single car team to a two car team is a massive step also. Mm. And it's a, as a, as a driving aspect, it's a good step because you've got someone else's data to overlay. Yeah. So if you're behind or if you're in front, you can see where you're behind or where your weak weaknesses are yeah. um, and where the positives are. Or you can just see, if you've got a really good driver, you can just see all your weaknesses. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it helps you go, yeah. okay, I can push a little bit harder in that corner. I can get on the brakes later here. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not carrying enough speed or I'm not doing this or hang on, what sort of line, you know, what line are you taking yeah. compared to me? Why, you know, why is that? why you a tenth quicker through there yep. or you know whatever it may be and that's where you know that technology and also having two cars makes a massive difference yeah and that's where the teams you know two to four car teams they really get the benefit of that don't they now yeah exactly you know? exactly right and as long you, know, as you can read it as long as you read it, it always yep. helps but yeah you know, the guys there's guys you know in the series who are very good engineering side of things who are very very good and very they rely on that data yeah um religiously mm. where you know back in the early 90s when, or late 90s when we first started feel. It, it was feel yeah and you know there's some you know 
some stuff now, I'm sure, but it's still still feel feel. You know, you look at you know you look at Jamie Winkup. You know, compared to you know he's still at the top of his game, but mm. you know you look at his teammate Shane Van Gisberg. You know, yeah, he's at the top of his game, and he's more of a driver who Gizzy's probably more of a driver who goes by feel, um, but works very well with his engineer. Mm. You know, um, the translation between the two. Is obviously working very, very, very well this you know, this year for sure um, between him and Couchy, um, who was Jamie's engineer. Yeah, you know, so it's really, really um, helped him. Not helped him, but it's obviously just a, a golden time. You know, people mm. come into something. He yeah. seems to be into that time. Hey, yeah, I think so. And you know, you look towards the end of last year it was very quick anyway. Yep. Um, and so yeah, time will tell. We've had a couple of rounds and. He's been very quick, even with a broken collarbone. He was very quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how those two go. Where you look at, you know, Jamie this year looks like he's probably, you know, he had already announced that he was going to retire and all that sort of stuff. You know, so he's probably maybe the, you know, throttles come off a little bit. But yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things of how much you use that technology, who you've got working with you on the other side of it, who's reading it and telling it and translating, um, you know, and, and working out how you translate your feedback to the car and what changes they need to make, you know, to be able to improve the car from what you're telling them. From the morning to the other, everything's changing as, mm. as well too. Yeah, and, and you know, the weather. Yep. You know, the heat, the track temperature. You know, we saw that a lot this year at Bathurst was the t- track temperature changed a lot because, you know, usually when, when we're there, it's not as hot. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, and guys couldn't pass. You know, if it was, if there yeah. wasn't much passing. No, it's weird, eh? Yeah. So, it, you know, it's having that whole package as a team and with the technology and what stuff you got to be able to, you know, rely on yep. is, is a massive know um sort of input into how you drive the car and and how you the results will come when in in your time you went to holden after a while hey Mm. and that was when holden had a bit of a funny sort of not a funny era but they had a there's like a bit of a split i guess with the holden team and stuff was that a weird time to go across to that um well we originally went across back in 2003 was because um, so TWR, which was Tom Walkinshaw Racing, yep. which was um, HS, uh, which was uh, HRT, that was the, uh, which team. was the team, yep. and um, and then they had at the start, that time Kmart Racing, yeah, okay, out of the same stable, and so Holden, we we spoke with Holden with 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 um, HRT, um, John Crannan was a guy who ran HRT or HSV at the time, and he'd been there for a, for a long, for a long, long time, time. yeah. And so, obviously, they had Peter Brock in the stables of years before. Yeah. And Brocky was a good seller of merchandise. Yeah. As the name needed to be still around the sport. Still yep. needed to be around the sport. So, yep. it was a good seller of merchandise for them. And they wanted to uh, – they had a driver, Jason Bright, who they didn't have enough room mm-hmm. for or, you know, the personality of – of yep. Mark Scaife at the time at HRT and Jason Bright probably might the might have clashed eh? might have clashed or yep. something like that and so they 
asked us if we would, you know, we had some licenses and all that sort of stuff. So they created a third team um, back in the day, if you'd say team, yeah. um, because you couldn't have more than four cars. And right. so we were a customer team. Yeah. To a way. You With your say. own license? With our own licenses, yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, so the first year they called it Team Brock. Yeah. Okay. And Peter was the figurehead sort of thing yeah, of Team yeah. Brock, if you wanted to call it that. Yeah. And yeah, basically it was for merchandise for them. Yeah. And that because the merchandise for for back in early 2000s was mega. Yeah. The amount of money they'd make out of merchandise was ridiculous. It'd fund the team. It'd fund the team now. Yep. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, so, yeah, that, that's obviously why they done it. And they still wanted Peter around. And... Um, you know, we done that for the first year, and that was unfortunately when TWR went bankrupt in Europe mm. uh, with the Formula One team. Yep. And so Holden, um, guy from Holden, flew to Europe and bought the three teams off the receivers. Yeah. Okay. Well, the problem was that in supercars, a manufacturer wasn't allowed to own a team. Ah. Okay, so they had to disperse the teams to somewhere. Yeah. So that's when Mark Scaife got... He got a team. A team. Um, we don't think he really paid that much for it. Um, ourselves yeah, had Team Brock, um, and, and that which ended up turn, turning into PWR. Yep. And, um, and then the Kelly family um, got Kmart Racing. Yep. And so, um, yeah, it was... Um, Interesting time because, you know, one, well, we weren't allowed to test. Team Brock wasn't allowed to test um, really? because they grouped all of us. Yeah, okay. Um, and so it made it very hard. I mean, we had to prove to, um, I think it was a Vesco at the time, which is supercars, Yeah. Um, was that we weren't, you know, under the same roof. Because I, I have a memory of um, the first round of the year was there was talk of it, probably the team may not even go. Yep. That that was right, hey. It yep. Was, yeah, it was because of the ownership troubles. And yes. Stuff. Yep. Yeah, and I think the first round was first race of the year was at um, the Grand Prix in Melbourne, Formula One. Yep. Yeah, Formula One, and I think it was only until like the Thursday night or something like that where they decided that yes, we could go and race. Wow. Yep. It's huge, eh? Which is pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Because of the, the amount of money that had been invested into it and time to get to that stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, we. Uh, where they're going, well, we don't know if we go let you race, um, makes it very difficult. Um, so, yeah, like that year, we finished second in the championship. Yep. Um, I think it was to Marcus, I think it was, mm. uh, with Jason Bright driving. Um, we had two test days. Um, for the whole year? For the whole year. Um, I think the, the budget that we spent was around about $3 million for two cars. Um, Doesn't seem like much nowadays. Um, it wasn't much back then, neither really? compared to what HRT was spending and yep. and stuff like that. You know, nowadays you spend they're spending eight million dollars for two cars, or wow. you know, some maybe some say more. Um, so we done it on basically a you know shoestring budget, um, but everyone who worked there put in like no tomorrow and believed that's, in it. Yeah, that's why we we went so well um, on a small budget. It, it, it was it was a weird time, you know, for the sport. Hey, at, at, at that sort of time, and 
And then, so what happened after that? You kept you kept your guys' licenses, hey, for the next few years. After yeah, that. we 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 separated out of so we, out of well the, out of the fold the fold or yep. the HSV sort of fold area. Yep. And um, yeah, because there's too much politics in it. Did John um, Crennan stay around for long after that? It must have been around the time that he, I think he departed too. I think yeah, somewhere around there he departed. Yep. It was around that era. Yeah. Uh, I think it was probably about another year or two after that. I think he departed okay. a couple of years after. That, I think it was. Yep. And there was a fair bit of politics in that in that area. So we used to all be in Clayton. Um, yep. You know, in a, in a um, business park there, at Clayton, where HSV was. Mm-hmm. And you know, the you could walk into any of the factories and all that sort of stuff. And when it was all three under one roof, it was all fine. But then when there was three different owners. Yeah, it was all yeah, secret squirrel secret. stuff and all this sort of shit. <laughs> yeah, and um, so it just become too hard, and it was too much backstabbing and and yep. everything like that. Yeah, you know, there was a stage where, you know, uh, Denkar, which was a manufacturer who built all the cars for 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 the TWR group. Yeah, um, you know, all the race cars, and so that was independently owned. And anyway, so we ended up buying it. Denkar. Denkar. Yeah, and. Um, Secretly bought it, um, and then when Scafey found out, he threw his toys out of a cot and everything like that. So we ended up selling it back to the guy who we bought it to, bought yeah, it right. from, just because it was too it was too difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the type of stuff that you're dealing with. You know, I, I think sometimes what it, what happens is racing people don't have a business mind. Mm. Okay, we bought it as a business, and racing people will buy something. Well. Or see someone else, a competitor buying something, as a threat to them, um, because they don't have a business mind. Yeah, you know, it's a racing. Oh, what about us, us, us? Yeah. Um, so it's a difficult thing for that, and that's why one of the biggest things why we actually just moved away from that that group and yeah. and done our own thing. Uh, ended up doing our own thing in the end, which was probably more, yeah, you know, in hindsight, probably more detrimental to to us and to anything because we went away and we I think it was 2005 we ran Larry Perkins engines yep. um, instead of run, running um, TWR engines and we had engine issues all year um, we just had a bad year with engines yep. you know, our, I think our first test day we, we shit two engines Wow. Um, brand new engines. Brand spanking. Brand spanking new engines and that was first year Greg Murphy drove for us so yeah it was it was timing of you know all that sort of stuff and and that was when that was the year that i ended up saying hey i've had enough i'm yeah. out that was 2005 and you know you i suppose that the thing is you make these choices as a race team to try to best benefit you yep. or you think you're doing the right thing but sometimes it bites you on the bum it catches up the other way mm. well yeah just the politics hey that, that that's the frustrating part i think that that would just do your head in yeah the politics really really big um yeah, you know, I think they're probably still the same now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, for sure. You know, you see it, um, and yeah, that was the biggest one of the biggest things because we'd never been. Well, you'd been in that. We've sort of been in that environment for a few years with supercars. Yeah. But we'd never been in that intense environment of politics of, you know, of people trying to stab you in the back so they can make two bucks more. Yeah. Off you or, or you know, instead of you getting it, they get it and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and teams, 
you know, I suppose in any professional sport, always you know look for edges of or ways around of and that. And I think yeah, you know, the other thing is you look at you know people. I suppose you caught you wouldn't call it cheating, but pushing the limits. Yeah. Of of the envelope, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like that. So it's you know as a professional sport, it's very very difficult because you've got so many mechanical parts. It's not an individual sport. Mm. It's you know a team sport. Um, even though there's one guy driving. Yep. But it's still a team sport. Um, so it's very you know it can be very political and very frustrated even within a team. Mm. You know you see that some of these teams now you look you know you look at some people who have probably left race car teams in the last year to different teams because they weren't happy with either management or yep. the way things were going. Um, you know, it's, you know, there, there is still a lot of stuff where there's infighting in teams and that, yep. and that can be detrimental to the team. Definitely. It's such an intense environment. Yeah. So much on the line. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, sometimes it just, you need to take a step back, eh? I, I think, put some people... What we said before about um, Triple Eight, you know, supplying things like pedal boxes and stuff like that. Now, I, you know, we're saying about manufacturing and and whatnot. It's been a good thing that they do do that too along the way of um, they're still races, and that at some point there would have been the business take take the business out of it. it would have been like let's do this just for ourselves. We're making the best thing for ourselves. But yep. then you look at it. Why not get everyone else strong and have the best equipment too? We supply the best car, whatever it may be, but it, yeah. it's quite smart as well. Like they're obviously racer, plus it's a sales business in a way too, isn't it? Oh, exactly. And I think yeah, you look at Triple Eight, it's a like, mixture. It's um, they're a very good engineering company. Yeah, yeah. And even though they're a race car team, yep. they're an engineering company. They understand that yeah. you need to have both. Yeah. And they've had some very good people there over the years, and yeah, you know, not a lot of people really leave triple eight mm. um if you're good you you sort of stay there yep um yeah so but you're on the business side of things they've done a very good job of you know being able to as you said being able to produce stuff yeah and first of all they produce it for themselves but you can go anyone can go there and buy exactly what they run for sure yeah you, know, you can go and buy jamie's car you can go and buy shane's car if you had the money and you want to pay the price that Ryan wants for it, you can go and buy you it. Go I'll just go it. and build another car. What's a car worth now, do you know? I have no idea. No idea these <laughs> no days? No idea. But it'd be a lot. Yeah. It'd be a lot. Yeah. A lot different to 150 grand. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah, you know, I think even 10 years ago, you think think back of going and racing the development series, it cost you 500000 to do a year. And they yep. used to do like six races. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You um, yeah, I hate to think of if you're going to pay for a drive to go and do something. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I remember reading an auto action about um, the VT time when Craig had the VT, and it was the most expensive car ever built for Australian motorsport. I think it was. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was three hundred and something thousand. Yep. At that at that time. Yeah. It was like, wow, that's huge money. I can I can only imagine what it's escalated to now. Exactly. So, why um like your your time like ninety eight to two thousand and five as a driver. For someone that didn't come from cars, why were you a good driver? Um, I don't know if I was. <laughs> um, Mate, you competed in our premium category for yeah. a number of years. You must have done all right. Uh, yeah, I done okay. Um, I don't know. I think I think when you come from a dirt background, yeah, too isn't really too bad of a thing because you have more feel 
mm. in what's happening underneath you. Yep. I suppose. And yeah, you know, if you look at if you look at NASCAR, a lot of drivers from NASCAR come from Speedway. Yep. Or it's dirt track over there. That's mm. where that path sort of happens. Um so yeah, I'm not quite sure why. I think, you know, determination, you know, you sort of you know, I know over the years I had a lot of crashes because you you know, you always go for all, if there was a spot to or a move to be on, you'd always go for it. And yep. sometimes that stuff worked out and sometimes it didn't. It's like the business, you take the two. Exactly. <laughs> you take the take that chance. Yep. Um yeah, that's what you gotta to try to do as a driver. Mm. Um I think we're more successful in endurance racing as in you know like your, your Bathurst and all that sort of stuff and probably I was in sprint racing okay. um, because I was probably never a really good qualifier I could nearly you know couldn't qualify a car um, get as much out as what other people would in a lap yep. um, but I could race a car and be consistent mm. um, over a longer time than a lot of other people did um, you know we you know, you look at Adelaide 500, we finished third there one year. Uh, we've, you know, always finished pretty good there. In the Holden days, we finished pretty good there. It's a race where, you know, it does make a difference where you qualify, but, you know, like it wasn't really a great qualifier, yep. but could race and be consistent in races. You know, mm-hmm. we always finished well there. Sort of longer races was always better because of consistency. And I suppose, you know, that was probably one of the, the strengths you know, for us, you know, at a, at a Bathurst or at a you know five hundred k race or or whatnot, yep. um, was was probably where where we were good um, compared to yeah you know, other people. What was it like driving at Bathurst? Bathurst was awesome. Um, you know, place is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, drivers all around the world go. I want to race at Bathurst. You get Europeans that come out here. You get Americans come out here, and they come and race around there, and they shit themselves. Yeah, they're slow, yep. <laughs> slow ass um, around there and and stuff because it's really hard hard track to yep. to sort of get because you got walls that are really close and bite hard, which I know that they do bite hard. Yep. Um, you know, but you got stuff where you you know on two wheels you're dropping down through the dipper and and stuff like that. You go you know going down um, down the you know going up mountain straight and you come over the hump and you you know. Your wheels spin up over the hump, basically. Um, you know, you, you get really light. It feels like your car's lifting off the ground in places. Um, you know, especially in the rain. Like, I've been around there in the rain before where we've started a race under safety car and you can't even see the car in front of you until the brake light's gone. Stuff that. And that's where you know, <laughs> oh, shit, hang on, the corner's coming up. We've got a brake. Yep. Um, it's just one of those places. Just, you know, it's, you know, people say Nürburgring, Le Mans, uh, Monaco, Formula One, you know. Um, it's like the bucket list places, isn't it? All that sort of stuff, Indianapolis, you know, all, all that sort of stuff, the Indy 500. Um, you know, everyone has one of those thing that, things that they want to try to tick off. Yep. And um, that's Bathurst. That's, you know, if you go anywhere around the world and talk to a race car driver and you talk about supercars or you talk about a track in Australia... And they talk about Bathurst, you know. That's Everyone wants that one. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Do you remember your, like? Do you remember your first lap there? Um, yeah, it was very slow. 
yeah. very very slow. Jeez, it would be it'd be such a weird feeling. Well, first time I actually went around Bathurst was in in a um, Toyota High Ace van. Oh really? Yeah. Like, slow lap. Yeah, like um, I think it was in 90, 1998. We used to do the the supercar series um, or Australian Touring Car Championship back then. Yep. Used to finish. Uh, we used to finish in I think it was September or something mm. the championship and then after the last round we would go to Bathurst and do a press day okay at Bathurst so um, and then we'd come back you know a month later, later and yep. come and do do the thousand and um, so we went up there for the press day and um, day before drove around in the high ace van and doing 60 k's and um, shit ourselves Doing 60 k's an hour around the track in a van. How am I going to go around here at over 200? Um, so yeah, it's it it is just a you know it's just one of those places where it's just cool. Yeah, it's just got a feel, hey. Yeah, I think that was the Jason Bright, Stephen Richards here. Uh, 98. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think pack leader. Yeah, or per tech car or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was yeah that track, mate. It's I rode it just. I've been to the races and yep. stuff. I've been around it a few times and nothing, but I rode it in uh, February on was it X10. Yeah, nothing crazy, but I was just coming down there, just thinking, it's just nuts. Yeah, it is. You know, you're just doing 60k through the dipper, and you're yep. just coming through, thinking, I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I know. So, I know. I don't know how they race bikes there. I don't know how they <laughs> they, they definitely have a death wish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that it's just got something about it, eh? It does. Do you watch six hour on the weekend? Um, no, I didn't watch any of it. Didn't watch any. Of it? Didn't watch any of it, but. You had a hu- you had a huge crash up there, obviously in eight. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, eight. Yep. Full recovery now. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, full recovery. Um, you know, I broke uh, my L one to L four or L five in my back. Did it scare you? Um, um, probably how close it was to to either being here or not being here. Wow, that's that's what sort of scared. Yeah, um, yeah, I had uh, yeah, I punctured lung, split spleen, um, as well, and you know, it's sort of. I think when you look at the car, you know, you look at the car afterwards. You know, we had a part of a roll cage split off, broke off, and had started going into the seat. Um, you know, and so if that had a gone through the seat, would have went through and probably come through my chest. Um, you know stuff like that you look at you know maybe if it was hit will hit two inches further forward it was two inches closer to the driver's door you know mm. I think the only benefit was that we got hit in the in the you know driver's side door but in the passenger you know the rear door um, that's where the sort of full force um, happened so you know if you look at look at that um, probably you know it's one of those things of you sort of got to look and go, shit, I was lucky. Yeah. Um, very lucky. Mm. You know, you, um, you know, I suppose if you look at, you know, I know you had Matty Mingo and on here before and, you know, you look at his crash in Detroit, where I think it was in Detroit, yeah. in the stadium truck. Um, he, for just the way he hit, it was just mm. unlucky. Very, yeah. You know, and everything like that, but it shows what, you know, it's just one of those things, and I think, and I think one of the things is, if your time's up, your time's up. You know, I think that in life, no matter what. Yeah. And you know, um, you know, I, I, you know, people say they can, they've seen the light and all that sort of stuff. 
and yeah, I can say it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you, in that situation, you do, or I did, see what people talk about. Yeah. And so that's how close it come to, you know, sort of not being here. You know, when you get hit at 200 k's an hour, yeah. Um, and you're stationary. Um, the first hit was big enough when I hit the wall myself. Um, so was that? So was the second hit that did more damage? Yeah, second hit done all the damage. All the damage. All the damage. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Man. Did, so yeah. Yeah. So, so you're conscious when you got the second hit? Yep. Conscious. Conscious. Or pretty much all the way through it. I don't remember um, going. I remember going into the ambulance at the top of the mountain. Yep don't remember the ride down really at all um days later i'm guessing you're awake and no i was awake through the whole no no i wake up wake up i remember being in the medical center down down the bottom yeah Yeah. but just don't remember that part um don't know why and then um yeah remember the whole whole thing remember yeah my wife got there she was actually in orange at my mate's house tim lays yeah getting ready to go to a winery for lunch um and he's ringing her and going hey you need to get down here now yeah and um so they had the tv on but they didn't have a volume on mm. um so you know she didn't realize the full um yeah fully what happened until she got there yep. um and we had to get into the helicopter and they flew us flew us to sydney to um westmead hospital yep. and um so you know it's um it's one of those things of you go shit I was lucky yeah um, and yeah I don't believe in luck but I, that day I did there was something uh, there yeah. there was something there or it wasn't my time um, yeah so it, there's you know there's some scary st- stuff that, that happens and yeah you know the, um, it's scary when you go into hospital and you got all these you know machines and you're strapped up you got you know wired up like a like a race car and um you know you don't know what's going on and you know like we you know the funny thing was when i went into the hospital they went we went into emergency they done everything and they missed the fractures in my back um and so you know two or three days later i was still in hospital uh in the spinal ward and you have know, a physio come in and said hey you need to hop out of bed and you know start to yeah, move and all yep. that sort of stuff. And as soon as I hop up, I felt like my back was snapping in half. Yeah, you know, and wow. the bruising, you know, around because obviously you got your harness on when you're strapped in. The bruising was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then so he went back to the the spinal specialist who was on that day, and the spinal specialist comes in and goes, "Oh, the reason why you can't walk is because you fractured five uh, of your vertebrae in your lower back." You know. Man. Stuff like that. So you can see how easy that stuff happens, how you know, especially how they miss stuff in hospitals, I suppose. Yep. Um and you know, the man you know, because the thing was what they were worried about with me was with my spleen being split, yep. if that that uh bled out. You're gonna poison your body. Yeah. Yep. So that was a, one of the biggest focuses of what they were focused on to start with. Um so yeah, I was lucky to walk away from that i was lucky still to be able to you know be able to you know walk um you know i suppose um and you know that sort of by that stage i sort of i had stopped racing well hadn't stopped racing i was still doing the enduros yeah and then after that i was sort of like "Mm, 
no, I'm pretty much done. You know, yeah, we've 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 circuit racing. Um, still loved it, everything like that. And so then that's when I you know went back to my roots of off road racing. Yep, and that's where we're at now. Yes. So yeah, that's huge. And and, and coincidence that you know factory move would have been around the same time. Yep. I'm guessing like yep. that was 08. Yep. Um, yeah. So your biz- business wise, everything changed at that point too. I guess it's time to focus on that. Life changes, and now we're in trucks and. Yeah. What are you racing now? Um, so racing um, trophy trucks. Um, yep. And um, so... Love it? Love it, yeah. I bought Toby Price's old ex-trophy truck here yep. in Australia. Um, I bought it a couple of years ago now, um, seeing we didn't have any races last year. Uh, we had a couple... We had one race... or two races into last year. Yep. Um, we had a race uh, a couple of weeks ago out at St. George. So what did you round. do? You've done uh, last year... Gundawindi and St. George? Uh, I've no, done Gundawindi and uh, up at Bowen. Don oh, yeah. River Dash. Don River Dash, yep. yes. Yep. Which is a really cool race. Um, and then we had St. George, which was the first round Australian Championship. Yep. Uh, which we finished fifth in. Um, qualifying was crap. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I had my skirt on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, yeah, that didn't really help us. Um, but we finished fifth, which was really good. Truck rang awesome. Yep. It was a really good hit out. Um, now we're getting ready for Fink, mm-hmm. um, which is in you know, June. And, you know, that's a pretty big, I suppose, you know, they say the Indy 500 is a yeah. big month for May. Well, the Fink's a big month for May because we, you know, we go up there, we go up there and do the uh, Brecky Bash, was that, which is around the prologue track at yep. the start of May. Um, then we'll go and pre-run for a few days and we'll go up back and forth pretty much, you know, two or three times in May, yep. um, to do pre-running and get, get ready for the race, which is Queen's birthday weekend. Yep. And, you know, it's one of those events where qualifying is really important. Mm. Very, very important. Um, the further you start towards the front, the bigger gap you get in your start time. Um, yep. to the car in front of you and car behind you. So, you know, dust is, in an off-road car, is, is a killer. It's huge. <laughs> it's a killer. Um, and it can be, you know, like curtains, like daylight, nighttime, daylight, nighttime, you know, being stuck behind someone. Yep. And so it's, it's the most important thing. And, you know, but knowing the track is the most important thing. Um, you got 225Ks of dirt between Alice and the township of Fink. Um, you know, where you got whoops over a metre high that you're hitting at over, you know, 160, 170 k's an hour. Um, and just knowing what's around that corner, that's why people, you know, pre-running is really important. Yep. Um, like they do in the Baja 1000, they pre-run the track, you know, for different parts, their sections yep. that they do. Um, you know, that's what we're doing at Fink. And, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time up there to do that. And all I've done is I've watched it on the side of a track before with a car going oh, by. So you've never done it. So I've never done it. Ah. So I've never done things. So, you know, you got, you know, compared to guys like Toby who yep. grew up there on a bike. Yeah. You know, I know that they used to say the bike guys used to, you know, cut the corners and stuff like that because they knew that the corner come around here and it joined back up there and they cut through and be like, oh, that tree, you got to cut through there. And stuff like that. So cars are a little bit different, but they know what I'm getting at. I suppose is they know the track like the back of their hand. Yeah. Um, you know, Toby's navigator isn't really navigating. He's there to change a tire if he needs to change a tire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's there helping him, but 
Toby knows more than what the navigator does. Yeah, the knowledge that he's acquired over the years is mm. huge. Yeah, so you know you're competing against guys like that, you know who who for knowledge and and everything like that. Um, you know you're competing against other guys who have done it 10, 15 times. Yeah. Um, so you know we're trying to get that learning curve down um, mm. and get it, you know, learn quick and 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 do it everything quick and and I suppose also where you know we're still learning the truck and learning what goes wrong and learning different things even though you know we've got a very good relationship with guys or brothers who built the truck yep. um in america um no, but they can't come out here so are you still in toby's old truck yeah still in toby's old truck so yeah. um i bought a new truck last year yep. um which is a full-size truck which is an unlimited truck uh, which that, can't compete here. That can't compete here. So I bought that for America yeah. um, because last year I went and raced at the Mint 400 in yeah, Vegas. Cool. Yep. And so, you know, full-size trucks, a little bit longer wheelbase, a little bit wider, 1,000 horsepower, yep. um, bigger beast than what we have here. And so what what the plan was, was this year was we thought everything probably would maybe be close to opening up was to go and four, do four or five races in America. Yep. Do the thing here, um, and you know, sort of do the thing, and that's about it. Yep. Because really, unfortunately, in Australia, I think is our biggest race that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's most prestigious. It's like years ago, winning a supercar championship or winning Bathurst. Yeah. If if you won Bathurst, everyone would remember who won Bathurst. Mm. You know. It was yeah. It was like more than winning an ATCC. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. So yeah, so we yeah, it's a pretty big preparation that we've got. We built a pre-running can and pre-runner. Yep. Um, yeah, especially just to pre-run think. Yep. Um, yeah, we we spent a lot of money this year to to be able to you know give it a best shot. You know, um, but there is a lot of good guys there. Mm. You know, there's probably ten or fifteen cars that are you know capable. It's crazy to see how the sports changed. Eh, that one. It is. It is it's evolving you know, so fast. Evolving so fast, people are spending a, a shitload of money on cars. Yeah, you know, people are spending three, four, five, six, or more, hundred thousand dollars. on buggies, on trophy trucks. It's crazy. It's it's ridiculous. Do you wish we could have the unlimited trucks here? I personally do. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be good. Um, I know there is a big push at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, for them to be here. Um, I think it would be good because somewhere like Fink, you know, to have a Bryce Mendes or a McMillan or, you know, any of those guys, yep. you know, Harley Lettner, you know, come down here and to race Fink, you know, in their own trucks because most of the guys have got three or four trucks over there yep. and the teams will, you know, have plenty. They could put them in a container and fly down here and race. I'm sure they yeah. want to. And there's guys, yep. you know, that, that do want to. The guys who, the guys who are winning all the time, the famous guys over there, they all want to come down here and race, I think, because it's an iconic event. Yep. And unfortunately for us is really there's sort of think might be one or two other races where they could run yep. because they're just too big for our tracks. Um, so, and so say St. George you did the other week, you'd probably not be able to run? Um. Just okay, probably just. There'd yep. probably be parts where you'd struggle. Yeah. Um, and that just because of the, the size of them, the width of them, and and everything like that. So you know, a lot of our, a lot of our tracks are 
based off, yeah, because we're running through farms and stuff like that, are based off a Toyota Land Cruiser. Mm. You know, that's the width of, of the track. So you've fair bit had wider. to play with, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, um, yeah, it would be nice if we could. Yep. Um, it'd be nice to have, you know, bigger engines. Um, but, you know, you've got, you know, a governing body who, who sort of runs it with cams and, and that. you've got people who make decisions and then you've got people who want to try to make decisions for themselves and then you've got other people who want yeah. to make decisions for sort of the sport. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, it doesn't make a difference for me. You know, I, I try to stay out of all that sort of stuff and other guys get involved in it. I know You've been in politics in sport before. Yeah, <laughs> our, our other, yep. some other, our other competitors or, you know, well, we need to be doing this and doing that. Whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, all I want to do is go and race and, you know, I've got a truck that's a, a good truck here. I've got a truck in the States that's a brand new truck that's just sitting there. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, and but yeah, when when we can get back there and yep. go and race, we'll we'll be straight back there going race. We yeah, you know, our goal was to go and do the Baja One Thousand. Yep. Um, you know, I think that's is still our goal. I'd, you know, I'd like to have an Australian team at the Baja One Thousand. You know, because you have two or three drivers. Yep. Um, you know, and there's some guys here who can are capable of. Being able to mix it with your Menzies, your McMillans, your Letners, all those, you know, the Herps family, the, the legends of, of the trophy trucks in America. You know, there's guys here, there could be an Australian team that could win it, um, I think. Um, mm. And that, but it's, you know, it's hard because of the cost. Yep. And that's where, you know, unless you've got mainstream motorsport like supercars, it's very hard with the cost. Yep. And trying to track sponsors and stuff like that, it's it's very difficult. You know, I'm in a fortunate situation where, you know, I can afford to go and do it because we've had a successful business and, you know, we can afford to go and do that. Um, you know, but you got guys, you know, like Tobes, yep. who's a professional driver or a professional bike rider. You know, he's a bit of a mix at the moment. He is, yeah. Um, you know, who he relies on someone else paying the bill. Yeah. And, you know... He's a very good driver. He's a very good bike rider. You know, unbelievably talented um, guy. Um, but you know, it's even for him with his profile, it's still a struggle to to sort of you know to be able to make sure he gets that fu- those funds every year to be able to go and you know for him he just goes and races Fink. Yeah. You know, but you know he's bought a new truck which is on its way out here and stuff like that. So he's spent a fair bit of money. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I know how much a new truck is. You know, mm. it's over more than half a million bucks. Spent a fair bit of money, and that's got to come from somewhere to try to try to be able to fund it. And the usual Australian way is people look at it and go, "Oh, it must be easy for him." Yeah, some, but exactly, nah, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not. So you know, that's I suppose that's the biggest problem with yep. with off road racing. Yeah. Um, because because it hasn't got the profile on the TV coverage, but it's getting there. You know, Channel Seven are doing you know yeah. some good stuff this year. Um, yeah, with Greg Rust um, on on there, and you know their you know their coverage of Fink is is good. Um, yeah, and I suppose now the other biggest thing is with social media of how much stuff gets put out put out on social media. The individual teams and yeah. that can do more. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's um, it'll be interesting to couple months. Yeah, I think so, and I, I see I see Rusty's coverage in that of like the St George one that you just yep. did. And it's good. Like it's yeah. really good. And it's such a hard, such a sparse place to cover. 
it's hard to cover. You know, well, exactly. Like job, so. I think at St George, the lap was eighty something k's or something like that. How do you cover it? You know? How do you cover eighty k's without just having a drone flying in the air the whole the whole time? Yeah. What do you think of Don River? Don River's awesome. Um, scary, but awesome. Really? Yeah. I say scary because. So you got buggies and you got trophy trucks, you know, class one buggies and, and yep. trophy trucks. They're doing 200 and something k's an hour. You got a, a side by side, mm. okay, doing 130 max. Wow. So, you know, bending the dust, yeah, with the dust, like the riverbed doesn't make, well, it makes some dust, but not as, not, not too bad, but yep. still bad enough. And, you know, you're passing cars that you don't even see sometimes. Hmm. You know, there was once there we passed three car, three Can-Ams into a corner because we missed the corner because we couldn't see because of the dust, but we were going that fast we couldn't stop to take the corner and coming up the other side. And it was like an S and we ended up coming up the other side wow. and we were like, oh, geez, we passed three cars <laughs> and didn't die. Um, so, it's you know, yeah. it, that, that's, a, that's a scary part of it. But it was an awesome event. Down the dry riverbed, um, you know, just fast and, you know, sort of the second day gets really rough. Yeah, right. Um, which is really cool. Um, but the speeds, a couple of good jumps. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just a really good event because the town is right behind it. It's all yeah. in one spot at the showground there. You start from the showground. Good for spectators. Good for spectators. Apparently it's frowned upon to drive down the Hume Highway in your trophy truck. Hmm. Yeah. That's a shame. And at the highway there, um, it's not the Hume, whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah, it's frowned upon. Apparently, you shouldn't do that. Um, so, yeah, but it is a good <laughs> event. <laughs> from from everyone's perspective that I've heard so far. Yeah, that's it's awesome. That's as good as Fink yep. or potentially going to be better. Yeah, it's got, got a really good feel to it. Yeah. So, does does the modern trophy truck give you the feeling of that one that you jumped in into about ninety seven? Um, it gives you a lot more feeling. Yeah, yeah, a lot more feeling. Um, yeah, it's just these things are just pretty good, like pretty pretty awesome. the The biggest problem is with a trophy truck is that we don't out of the corners. We can't get out of the corner. Slow corners. We can't get out of quick enough. Right. We're a buggy because it's got the engine at the rear. Um, and they're lighter. Yep. Fair people nimble can you know power out of corners really good. Um, trophy truck engine at the front, two wheel drive. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. You get a fair bit of wheel spin and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. You know, now, yeah, the ones in the unlimited in America, you know, there's four wheel drive trucks. Yep. There's everything. Um, I think uh, the new one that I bought has some type of traction control. Yep. Also. Um, on it, yeah. You know, the, the technology that they're doing and the suspension is, is just getting better and better, yeah. You know, but yeah, you know, also comes with that is the expense, you know. Like a, sure. you go and buy a Mason in America four wheel drive truck, full size four wheel drive trucks, one point one US, yeah, million. It's, it's it's ridiculous to race through a desert. It's race through a desert, but yep. the technology on it, the the yeah, you know, the stuff that they got on them are, are real, so good, like mm. yeah, you know, so good. But yeah. You know, that's that's what happens is more technology. Yep. More people are willing to pay. The more people are willing to pay. Yeah, you know, I suppose you've got families that have done well in business over there that are doing it because they want to do it because they love it. Yep. Um, and they'll pay for it. And it is a good family sport. 
It is off road racing. It's awesome family sport. It's, it's like motocross thing. and supercross. Goes to good, that again. Yeah, you know? is yep. a good family sport, and yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah, I wanted to get back into racing, off road racing, was because it's enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, you can go there, have a good time. Doesn't make a difference how you go. Um, obviously, you always want to try to win. Yep. Um, but you can have a good time, um, and you can do it with your family. And there's no not much politics really. You know, you can get caught up in that side of things if you want to, but there's not much politics. And yeah, you know, everyone sort of camps. Everyone has fun. Everyone that's has cool. a beer. Yeah, it's enjoyable motorsport. Yep. And that's why, that's why we all started as a kid. Because yeah. we enjoyed it. We want to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I suppose all of this stuff, especially in professional motorsport, all of a, all of a time people forget that. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's something that's been missing and I hope it comes back and these sports like stadium trucks and that are bringing it back. I, I feel anyway. So yeah. Mate, we've been going for over two hours. Okay. I've got to, I've got to let you go because we've chewed through every bit of memory card <laughs> and batteries that I have here. And um, I, I could literally talk. I've got so many things to talk to you about. I could talk to you for hours, but um, I better let you go too, mate. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate.